0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial, Steve Peasley, President, KPP Financial. Independent Thinking, Shared Success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our September twenty first, twenty twenty edition of Invest Talk. I thank you for tuning in on today's show, and this is actually the last show for the month. Uh, sorry, not for the month. For so the summer. Today is the last day of summer, and I know it moved pretty fast, but hopefully you got out a little bit, got a little sun, and have moved your portfolio into a better place. It's been a volatile time, and there's a lot to discuss. We know that, unfortunately, over the weekend, uh, we had a Supreme Court Justice pass away, Ruth Ginsburg, and this is a time where political turmoil is likely to continue and we're only, what, 40 days away from the election and you can see with the move in the market today that the risks in the market remain relatively high. And there are a lot of investors that, frankly, aren't prepared. They aren't. They're not prepared for what's happening uh, in the marketplace. They're not prepared for the level of volatility. They don't understand what is stimulating the market, what is keeping the economy going right now. Right. It's a, it's a difficult time for many to decipher the ebbs and flows of the market. We know that the Fed has stimulated the economy or enabled markets to reliquify. Right? And that's really what we had in the month of March, April, right, where we had massive liquidity drying up. And that was the main issue. And they fixed that to some degree. But they also are at the end of their policy prescription tools. And so it is up to Congress to stimulate, and they have not. And that's really the main crux of where the market is is likely to go going forward right because a system that has so much debt right and that's really what the Keynesian system is it's about right it's about adding more and more debt as much as you can stand really it's really what it's about sustaining more and more debt. Now, this is a precarious situation that we haven't been in in a long time, right? And it's something that most investors aren't prepared for. Most investors love a narrative. And this market is slowly coming back to the fundamentals of businesses and the economy. It always goes back there, right? The pendulum swings swings back and forth. And once the narrative is in doubt, what do people do? They look back to the fundamentals of businesses and the economy. Nikola Tesla, or Nikola, I guess you could say, is a good example of this, right? The chairman stepped down because suddenly the narrative of this innovative company was put in doubt when it was reported that they pushed, a, uh, that one of their marketing videos was just pushing a truck down a slope. And now that they're probably going to come under some regulatory scrutiny. And this is a great example of how, and it's, it's only one example of, a company that has this incredible narrative but has very little substance to back it up. And like Warren Buffett always says, when the tide goes out, you can see who's swimming naked. And in my video on Friday, I talked about how the IPO market break the stock market. So you should check that out over at our, our channel on YouTube. But first, let's get to our caller questions. Right now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hi Stephen Dustin, I've been looking at H and R Block
2: symbol HRB and decided the fundamentals just aren't there for me. Perhaps you could touch on that, but my question is more so to do with volume. Options expired on Friday, and there have been more volume during the last five minutes of trading than perhaps the previous month combined. The stock also saw a one day plunge of more than seven percent without any discernible news item. I have a couple theories, but I'm curious how you'd explain this phenomenon and what it means for me as an investor. Thank you.
1: Well, there's a lot of weird things going on in the options market right now. Right? The average person, th- this is what I think is happening uh, in, in general in the markets. The average person has realized that the government's not going to come in and save them. right? But the government will come in and save the market. Right, buy the dip, and they said, "Well, how do I get exposure to this?" Right, they feel it's a rigged game. So how did how does the average person get in on the market being saved at every turn? Well, you could buy stocks, you could buy individual stocks, but recently, a lot of them have discovered, "Hey, I'm I don't have." I might not even have $5,000. I might only have $500. What's the best bang for the buck to get exposure to the equity markets? And that is through the options market. And that's why you've seen massive interest in call options, which historically, short-term call options are not great bets. Can they be? Sure. And so this massive volume, and I see what you're talking about, huge volume on Friday on H&R Block, a lot of that could have to do with some sort of options positioning, maybe an option bet. Could also be capitulation to the downside, right? Everyone kind of giving up on the H&R Block story. That's certainly a possibility as well. So from a short-term perspective, I just think it's more to do with options. From a long-term perspective, Hey, this has been going down for a long period of time, really since 2015, when it was trading at $35, $40 a share. Now we're at $14 a share. And it's a consistent drop, yield 7.3%. So that that's my read of it. Could be both, but most likely has to do with the options market. Now you're listening to Invest Stock. I'm Justin Klein. Summer is technically over today. And for investors the need to remain vigilant never ends so our goal and your goal should be to help manage your fear and greed and that will make you become a better investor now we can do i know you can do a better job of managing risk by balancing your assets in your portfolio and that requires effective strategy and information so that's our goal here, is to help you develop those strategies and provide you with some of that information. Your participation is an important part of the mix, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
2: This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call
1: 888-99-CHART. Let's go to James in Sonoma looking at State Street Corporation. STT is a symbol. You own it, so you're looking to buy it.
0: Uh, well, I'm looking to buy it, and i have been buying it for an IRA. Um, you know, it's got uh, history. It, it's got some support around 59 there, and it's down to 59.92. dollars mm-hmm. um, It's got a history of raising dividends. It's uh, a little under, I believe it's a little under a 3.5 dividend right now. And um, yep. so it would be one of these things. And I'd like your comments, and what do you think of these type of stocks anyway? Uh, the bank's taking it today. I think all of these and the insurance companies just went down just because the bank's taking it um so i'm looking to buy the debt
1: so to speak okay well this is state street incorporated and they provide financial services including investment management uh, investment research and trading they have about 34 trillion dollars in assets in custody and administration and so they're in the asset management world the problem is, is long term, their business has been uh, kind of declining, or at least in the last few years. 2018 was their high in earnings, $7.21. And they're only supposed to make $6.46 this year and actually down 2% to $6.31 next year. So I don't like that aspect of the, the story here is that, you know, the, their business keeps deteriorating. Now I like their general business overall. Uh, I think they have um, strong economies of scale with their size, and uh, they do have a pretty strong economic moat around some of their businesses. So uh, I like that. Uh, the issue is technically, in the, like you said, that they're in the financial services world. I like the insurance companies better than the asset managers. You know, there's a lot of assets flowing into – Index funds, etc., and that that becomes an issue for a company like State Street. So, um, you know, I, I like what you're looking at, but I, you know, I wouldn't buy it yet just because the relative strength is only 37. So it's underperforming the overall market. It's it's all its moving averages are pointing down. I like that you're you have it on your watch list, but it's not cheap enough for me. It's probably fairly valued, and I don't want to buy something that's fairly valued that's in a downtrend both te- technically on the charts as well as from earnings I want to see the earnings picture start to, to move cheap- up as well as a technical picture what was that what would, you, what would you consider to be cheap enough this would need to be right now it's at 5992 this needs to be in the 40s for me to be you know to say this is cheap enough where it was in in March around 43. That's, that's, that's pretty decent, uh, from a valuation perspective. That would mean it would be sufficiently undervalued for me to want to, uh, hold on to it. But at the, at the moment, it's just not quite cheap enough yet. And I don't see the earnings picture turning around, right? To be honest with you. So, uh, analysts expect earnings to fall 2% next year. And that's actually being downgraded from its previous estimates. So I continue to wait on this. Keep on your watch list. <laughs> I need a bargain basement price to be getting into State Street. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 So 4278 you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, my focus point today concerns the question, can we expect more pain ahead in the mortgage market? So I'm going to give you the trends that are happening within the mortgage market and what that will ultimately mean for the real estate market. Uh, in the economy as a whole because there are some knock-on effects of forbearance and some people coming off the forbearance rolls. So I'm going to touch on that. Also, minimum volatility ETFs and funds, guess what? They haven't lived up to the hype. They haven't lived up to their names recently. I'm going to talk about some facts and figures to give you some insight there as well. Also, I want to dig into Ray Dalio and his comments recently as well. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And if you've been listening for a while, you've heard me say that I believe every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance level. In order to do that, you can do that for free over at investtalk.com. It's called our Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. I encourage everyone to head over there and check it out. But for now, I'm ready to take your questions at 888.99 Chart.
2: You are listening to Invest Talk. It's Thursday, and there's no doubt that the COVID 19 pandemic has caused financial disruptions around the world. But you've got an asset portfolio to protect and grow, so you've got finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is here, and he's taking your calls live. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hey, Stephen, Justin, thank you guys for the podcast. Got a question about AT and T ticket symbol T. I'm trying to get into this for the dividend. It's been holding pretty steady in the nineteen to twenty range over the last three months. Is around a 7% dividend yield. And I'm wondering just to make some dividend income off of this and also possibly staying in that range, selling some covered calls and making some money off the premium. Do you think the and t would be pretty good for this kind of income play or other dividend stocks
1: out there that would be better? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, we like AT&T. We think it is undervalued here, sub $30 a share. We've been buying it for a, a long time for it, sub 30, and collecting that uh, what's the yield now? 7.3% dividend yield. Earnings are expected to fall this year, 11%, but back up 1% next year. And we like the stability of their overall business. Now they do have some parts of their business, uh, mainly Direct TV, for example, which they're they're talking about selling off. Uh, in advertising revenue, and, and they have some other aspects. But the majority, of their vast majority of the revenue still comes from AT&T wireless business, which is pretty steady. And so um, while they do have a lot of debt they need to uh, dig themselves out of, they have a business that really isn't going to go anywhere. And so we like AT&T. Uh, and once it, there's more clarity on how quickly they can pay down the debt that they – uh, took out for uh, many acquisitions, including DirecTV. Uh, I think they'll, they'll do just fine. So it's, a, it's definitely a good stock to write those cover calls, like you said. Now, my focus point today concerns the question, can we expect more pain ahead in the mortgage market? And the number of mortgages and active forbearance programs have declined recently, but still remain elevated. Now, those that were in government related mortgages their shrink their the numbers in forbearance are shrinking which is good but those in private label and bank related mortgages right bank uh, mortgages that are held by banks those are actually rising and a lot of borrowers are not recovering fast enough to be able to go back to paying their mortgages now the total number of mortgages in active forbearance meaning you delay payments at least three months or more that declined last week by about 26,000 which was the fourth consecutive week but that pace is starting to slow now as so of September 15th just under 3.7 million homeowners in the u.s. remain in some sort of forbearance plan that's about 7% of active mortgages now, it's down about 22% from the peak in May when it was 4.7. So, you went from 4.7 to 3.7. But three-quarters of those that entered forbearance in the initial phase of the CARES Act applied for an extension. About 1.7 million of these borrowers that are in forbearance are about to see their plans expire at the end of this month. A lot of them were in six-month forbearance. So they're going to need to ask for an extension. And this is really the key here to the, the economy, right? How many of those were just in forbearance, right? They don't really care. They have a little extra money, and maybe they still have their job. They went into forbearance as because uh, they were scared. And now they're saying, okay, well, let's go back to paying my mortgage. I still have a job they're going to have less money to spend in the economy, right? Now, eventually, as well, on top of that, these 7% of the mortgage market, 3.7 million borrowers are going to need to pay at some point. They're going to need to pay their mortgage and exit forbearance. And this will be a drag on the economy. And those that cannot are going to foreclose. Now, I don't think that's going to be for a while, probably next year. And this is kind of the wild card. There's two wild cards to me in the, in, in the housing market. Interest rates. Do interest rates rise? Do mortgage rates get back above, say, 3.5%? think if it does, that would be certainly a drag to affordability. And then you have this three, four million homeowners that could enter foreclosure to some degree. And that will certainly hurt the market just like it did back in, in 08. But banks are likely to avoid that. They don't want to own homes. They just dealt with this type of crisis. So they're going to work with borrowers, and extend as long as possible. Pretend and extend. They perfected that in the last cycle. Now, on the next Invest Talk story that emphasizes this conclusion, the markets are entering their most treacherous season. Since 1952, the Dow Industrial Averages averaged a 0.8% decline in presidential election years, while the S&P 500 averaged a 0.7% drop. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart
0: Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. Do we have a disadvantage, us investors, on the West Coast as opposed to the people that are closer to the action? They're right there in New York. And what's your question? 888 99 chart is how to reach
1: Justin right now on Invest Talk. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, Invest Talk is made possible by KPP
2: Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Feasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with Klein investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. Hi, I'm interested to know what you think of leveraged oil and gas ETFs such as ticker symbol G-U-S-H or N-R-G-U. You know, I'm curious about taking a small position as a speculative strategy. While I know that these sorts of geared ETFs are high risk, high reward, and are designed for traders, not really for investors, my thinking is that in the two to five year term, there may be a lot of upside potential in these sorts of ETFs. And I'd love to know your thoughts on taking a small, very small, speculative position in them. Thanks.
1: I think you answer your question. You said you, you know these are for traders, and that's what they are. right? Any leveraged ETF, any leveraged ETF is for trading, not for holding. There's a thing called tracking error, which has to do with the math behind the leverage, the cost of creating the leverage. And if you look at any of these ETFs over the long term, they underperform. The non-levered equivalent because of that tracking error, because of the cost of the, the leverage. So, once again, you answered your own question. You said, I know these are for traders. Okay. Well, if you know they're for traders, then why are you saying, well, maybe I should buy it no matter how small. I don't care how small it is. If it's a bad investment long term, then it's a bad investment. I mean, gush. For example, I mean, I'm going to go to a monthly chart here, you know, split adjusted is over $8,000 per share, 8,000 if you account for the reverse splits and now it's trading at $25 a share. So it's clearly a capital destroyer. Why would you ever want to hold anything like this for an extended period of time? Now, for whatever reason you think there's a catalyst to upside in these oil companies, whether oil, oil prices going up or some other type of catalyst, you can you use it for a short term, few days, a week, maybe two at most? Sure. And that applies, same logic applies to all the leverage ETFs that are out there. But you answer your own question. It's for traders. It's not for buying and holding. Eight eight nine nine 99 chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. 4278 We have about 20 minutes left in the show to get your call in. Let's touch on these low vol ETFs and just funds in general. A lot of money has been flowing into these type of ETFs and funds. $36.5 billion from 2017 through the end of last year. And these are those ETFs that say minimum volatility type of ETFs, right? Uh, there's one from iShares, one from Invesco that's pretty big. They both have billions and billions of dollars in assets. And many investors are looking at these as a way to, oh, they think it's low risk, right? Oh, minimum volatility. That's low risk, right? That's what they think. They don't do any digging they don't understand what they're holding they don't understand the potential risks just cuz it's just cuz it's titled something doesn't mean that there's going to be minimal volatility what does that mean exactly you have to ask yourself that question now over the past year 7 of ne- the 19 minimal volatility funds that are out there have fluctuated even more sharply than the market as a whole And all of them have had about 85% of the volatility of the overall market, at least. Some, like I said, seven of the 19, even more. Now a lot of them are looking backwards, right? You're looking at previous market events, previous volatility, the last cycle, for example, and looking at their level of volatility, saying, well, that's where you want exposure. But in practice, you're just bulking up on areas where, yes, over the past five years, 10 years, these sectors have had minimal volatility. That doesn't mean that they aren't capable of volatility and more volatility than the overall market. Remember, you're still buying equities. It's still high risk. I don't care what type of equity exposure you have. It's still high risk when you're all in equities. Good example, the iShares minimum volatility ETF had 16% of its assets in financials, 9% in utilities, 8% in real estate, which typically are areas that have lower volatility. The Invesco low volatility ETF, 17% in financials, 27% in utilities, and 18% in real estate. Now, what's one thing all three of those sectors have in common? Well, the answer is their average debt levels tend to be higher than average and you know in a deflationary pulse impulse lots of debt becomes a problem and the underlying assumptions about the level of volatility in a downturn were kind of thrown out the window right they weren't expecting a pandemic there was very little exposure to software, biotechs, two areas that felt a little safer. And remember, they're run according to rules, not human judgment. And they make changes on a schedule. And this one, the, the Invesco one, made a lot of changes at a very bad time, just simply based on the schedule. It increases exposure to the healthcare sector from five percent to twenty-six percent, and then dropped its exposure utilities from twenty-seven to less than six, and real estate from fifteen to two. So they sold near the bottom. That was in April. So understand that just because it says minimum volatility or low volatility doesn't mean no volatility. You have to understand what type of risks you're still exposing yourself to which is still equity risk so make sure that you understand what you're investing in before you dive in now let's see if I can fit in one more caller question that came in from a listener in Washington State hey guys this is Steve from Washington State I'm curious about your thoughts on DR Horton their home builder company
2: DHI just being with the uh, low mortgage interest rates and People moving out of the cities. I'm curious if this might be a good move. All right. Thanks for everything you guys do. Love the show. Bye.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of there are a lot of excuse me a lot of tailwinds to the new home market in the near term. All right? Supply is still low. Demand remains relatively high of people moving into the suburbs, away from big cities. And home builders are in a unique position to fill a lot of this demand. Now, their costs are going up. We talked about last week with lumber and uh, labor costs. So in the near term, I think they'll be fine as long as interest rates don't break out. That's my biggest worry here. If interest rates break out, meaning the 10 year goes to from 0.67 where it closed today to say 85 basis points, right? 0.85 or higher. That would bring mortgage rates probably somewhere in that three and a quarter area. And that's where affordability starts to suffer. And I think that would curb the demand overall. So as long as you don't think rates are really going to push too much higher than they are right now, I think it'll be fine. But it depends on your thesis. right? also depends on those forbearance. How many of those people in forbearance are going to foreclose? How many are going to extend? How many are just going to sell their home? Well, it's a good time to sell, right? Maybe they want to downsize. Good time to downsize, right? Why? Because prices are high. If you want to buy a smaller home, the value of that smaller home is going to go up less than the value of your bigger home. So it's a good time to downsize. How many of those people are going to downsize and change the dynamic of the market? So I like the home builders in the near term, but you know a lot of treachery in the future. Now you listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to explore the financial investment information we have over at InvestTalk.com. You can learn about our various investment strategy opportunities that we offer through KPP Financial. For example, our covered call strategy, Equity Income Plus. It's dividend investing with a boost. We developed a strategy and it only holds dividend-paying stocks and that then adds an extra boost of income from the premiums from covered call writing. Now, if you're serious about achieving financial freedom, I want you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California. You can learn more at investtalk.com. But now, I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART.
2: This is Invest Talk. Good news. Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or investtalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Hi, guys. This is Sandra calling. I have a question about Live Nation, um, ticker symbol L-Y-V. Right now, Live Nation has been trending you know, up. It's around $58. I've been waiting to, actually hoping to see if it would actually go down um, more back to like the $45 range, but I haven't seen that so far. So I just wanted your opinion on whether or not you think it's worth buying into right now or waiting for another pullback, especially considering how entertainment has been doing during COVID so far. Thanks so much. Bye.
1: We're just looking at Live Nation Entertainment, and they operate 273 venues offering live entertainment events such as music, concerts, and theatrical performances. Had a pretty big down day on the back of what it looks like a resurgence of COVID in the UK. And, you know, is the question, is that the start of a fall second wave, right? A lot of people look at the summer kind of wave as continuation of the first wave, which I think in a lot of ways it is. And so if we get a second wave and that could push, you know, concerts and big events from happening off until maybe late 2021, maybe even to 2022. So that would push their business uh, awful a ways and they're obviously suffering revenues down 98% year over year. Uh, So clearly they have variable costs that are going to go down as well, but they have a decent amount of debt. And I think that's the biggest issue here, but I like what you're looking at. I like that it is on your watch list because this is the type of name that, uh, you know, had positive 666, million dollars in free cash flow in 2018 and I don't think live events are going away so I, I do have this on my watch this as well but I want it around $30 this year right now it's about $53.16 uh, if it can get back around 30 I think this is a great pickup. but I would be very very patient on Live Nation let's go to Joe in Oakland wants to talk about ETFs oh
2: how you doing?
1: Hello, you got.
2: Oh, I had a question about. I'm, I'm looking at uh, the spider ETF um, for sec for different sectors like uh, okay. XLU for utilities, uh, yep. XLF for financials, and I'm just curious if you have any, in, uh, you know, suggestions for sectors um, that you like moving forward here, um, especially with this dip right now. Um, what what sectors uh, are, are are still good moving forward? What do you what do you think?
1: Well, you know I like precious metals, so I think buying any dip on that area is uh, is definitely good. Uh, utilities is an area that that I like because I don't think uh, I think the demand there will will remain uh, relatively strong, and. You know, I still don't like financials. Um, you know, it's hard for me to give you specifics. I don't know your own particular situation and what type of risk tolerance uh, you have. Uh, but you know, cyclicals. I think that cyclicals will do well as the economy kind of reopens. Um, but different areas. So it's hard for me to say. Okay, just buy the industrials, uh, for example. But I do like the industrial space uh, overall, but some sub segments more than others because some are, are going to continue to have a drag from a weaker economy. Others will have a tailwind from onshoring of manufacturing, I think which I think will be a consistent theme going forward. Um, you know so and a lot depends on what type of exposure you have elsewhere. Um, so, that's that's my general sense, but it's always hard for me to say, oh, you should buy this sector or or that sector without understanding your risk tolerance level and the rest of your portfolio as well. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in right now at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
2: Listening to Invest Talk every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasy shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. eight 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 ninety nine chart.
1: Let's go to Steve in Palo Alto. Looking at Target, do you own it? Are you looking to buy it?
2: Uh, I I'm looking to buy it, um, uh, but I know it's kind of high. I actually had two questions. Uh, one pertaining sure. to this one, and one pertaining to Abbott, uh, ABT. Um, okay. More so, Abbott, just because um, I've seen a little bit of a dip of uh, in its price here in the past two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Target as a as a play, just in case uh, if there's a resurgence in uh, COVID. Uh, I know that was one of the uh, big stores that remained open during this whole uh, pandemic. So
1: just one of your thoughts on that. Well, both Abbott and Target remain strong. Uh, technically, they, they look perfectly fine, consolidating. Uh, valuation-wise, I think Abbott's a little bit better valued, uh, but they're both, I would say, overvalued. And, But I wouldn't say Target is, to me, a great covid resurgence play uh why because they yes they have a grocer side of their business but they also sell a lot of other uh discretionary items and so i rather own grocers direct grocers and have exposure that way so to me target is more oh they have good management uh they are they have the assets to potentially compete with an Amazon. So if, uh, say there's antitrust regulation around Amazon, Target could come in there and fill the void a lot, a lot a, along the lines of what Walmart's trying to do with, uh, with their, was a Walmart Plus, uh, subscription, et cetera. So that's, that's my play with Target. It's, it has nothing to do with valuation. It's definitely overvalued. Um, but, and it wouldn't be a, uh, re- COVID resurgence play at all. Um, but I like that you have both in your watch list. Both, just to me, are overvalued here at these levels. But technically, they remain strong. So if you're trying to trade them, you're going to hold them for you know the next few months. Uh, these are pretty strong plays uh, in that case. It depends on your time horizon, Steve. What, what would it be?
2: Um, I think uh, Abbott would be a, a play and Target would be a, a long-term hold.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Target, from a long-term perspective, you're going to get better prices. But uh, it is a great company to hold a long-term. Abbott, technically, I think your biggest risk here is what's happening with potentially Obamacare, right? Uh, the, The healthcare sector has done very well. The, the lobbyists definitely basically wrote Obamacare for the most part, and so it, it's helped the sector as a whole, from health and health uh, insurers to uh, drug companies to uh, medical device companies across the board. They've all done very, very well under Obamacare. So if that's gets repealed uh, because of uh, this you know one liberal judge coming off the, the bench, then you know that's the potential risk there. But um both are, are strong technically and both are relatively overvalued. Thanks for the call, Steve. Eight 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 ninety nine chart, eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Let's close up quickly with comments from Ray Dalio, Uh, I love Ray Dalio, I think he's uh, one of the best economic minds of our time, he's a big, big thinker, he's written some incredible, incredible pieces, if you head over to his LinkedIn, uh, he's on chapter six of a a very long, uh, basically history of currencies and economies, and how we kind of have the rise and fall of countries. And their economic systems. And, you know, the US, you know, we've been in uh, 75 years of being the high man in the totem pole. But there are some major issues, a lot of it surrounding debt, uh, a crisis of capitalism, and the fact that naturally capitalism doesn't spread wealth evenly. And that's okay as long as there's some sort of meritocracy. And the have-nots feel that they can actually rise to be a have. And in a lot of ways, broken that contract. And that's really the biggest issue that we have today is that contract is not being upheld. And so he has some great, great uh, thoughts on that. And I encourage all of you to go read all of his writings over at LinkedIn. It is very, very Important for you to understand. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on tomorrow. Actually, in the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over a hundred archived Invest Talk podcasts over at InvestTalk.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the
0: nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program. It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.